In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this time of prayer. We ask you, as we just said, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, that it may truly be a time in which we reflect on you, on the truth that you revealed, and also on ourselves in the light of that truth. And we come to our Lord as we are, and with the challenges of our culture, the challenges of this particular period in history that our Lord wants us to live through. And these are things that we should pray about, things that trouble us or trouble other people, perhaps people that we know, or perhaps just things that we hear about that are confusing or troubling. And one of the issues that that people struggle with these days, and, and perhaps also we can struggle with personally, is the issue of identity, right? Personal identity. And we see this in what people call identity politics, where they make ethnic or racial identity or racial classification a kind of key or the key aspect of their personal identity. We see this also in the area of gender movement and uh, transgenderism, where people are confused about their personal identity, confused about the gender that they were born with, and they try to seek a, an identity and another way of being that that seems more fulfilling or attractive to them for what for whatever reason. And so it's good to ask ourselves, Lord, in your presence, well, what do you say about identity? What do you say about who we are? And in the Bible, there's a close connection between identity and names. And this, of course, is also true in in life, in human life, that if someone asks you who you are, asking for your identity, well, the first thing you give them is your name. Your name is kind of a placeholder for your identity. If people are going to talk about you, think about you, pray for you, address you directly, they use your name. So there's a kind of a special connection between someone's name and who they are, their identity. And therefore, in the Bible, this is very strong. Therefore, God says, you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. The second commandment of the Decalogue. The name is connected to the person. And so since the person of God is holy and worthy of respect, well, we have to respect his name. And the same goes for people. We have to respect the name of the person because it's connected to their identity. It's connected to their reputation. And there's a beautiful theme of names in the New Testament that can help us in our prayer with our Lord. There's a sense in... In Christianity, there's a sense in our faith 
that only God really knows who we are. Only God really knows who I'm truly meant to be. And therefore, only God knows my true name. The name that I'll have for eternity is something that is only revealed to me by God. And that I'll only, have, I'll only receive, I'll only get that name and, and become my true self if I'm fulfilled as a saint, if I get to heaven. For example, this is present in the book of Revelation. Jesus is speaking to the churches through this revelation to St. John. And he says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except him who receives it. To him who conquers, Jesus will give a new name, a name which no one knows except the person who's going to receive it and God himself, a new identity. Your true identity is found in God. But there's a stipulation, right? We have to conquer. We have to be faithful to our life. We have to be faithful to the vocation God has given us. We have to be faithful to our faith. We have to be faithful to God, to conquer, to live the struggle of this of this life in order to get to heaven. And there, if we do that, we'll receive this new name. We'll become who we truly are. He who conquers, this is from the next chapter in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Here again, we have that idea that we have to conquer to get to be who we truly are, to get to discover who we truly are. We have to fight the good fight of being good, of being faithful, of trusting our Lord. Unless we fight the good fight, unless we conquer in this in this life, we won't get that new name. And here there's a new wrinkle. Jesus says that he'll give us he'll give us his new name. Such that our name, our true identity is connected with him. It's connected with his identity. And this is the beauty of being called a Christian, for example. To be called a Christian is to be named after Christ. To be baptized is to be baptized precisely in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To participate in God's name is to participate in his person, in his identity. Which means that God giving us our true identity will be showing us how we imitate him specifically how we're like him, how he's drawing us into his own life. Lord Jesus, perhaps I can look right now at my life, at the way I carry myself, at the way I act, at my reputation, the reputation that I, that I earn with my, with my treatment of others, my virtues, my character. And I can ask myself, Lord, is there anything discordant in my identity, in my reputation with being a Christian? with carrying your name, with being a participant in your name. Sometimes in the Bible, we see our Lord give people precisely new names 
and their new names because he's chosen them for a new mission or a new relationship. In the Old Testament, this happens several times. Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarai becomes Abraham's wife, Sarah. And Jacob becomes Israel. And then in the New Testament as well, Peter starts off as Simon, and he's renamed Kephas, which means rock. And Saul becomes Paul. And then Jesus nicknames the apostles John and James the sons of thunder, the brothers, but when energies, the sons of thunder. So there's a sense that our, our name is connected with our mission, with our vocation. And we'll discover our true identity. We receive our true identity, who we really are, insofar as we discover and respond to that mission, that vocation. Sometimes people kind of do this to themselves in different ways. Sometimes it's just uh, imaginative, right? Imagine, well, if I was if I was a rapper, right, what would my rapper name be? I don't know, Little Biggie, <laughs> or whatever. Or if I were a rock star, what would my what would my rock star name be? Sometimes people do this with email addresses or social media handles. They pick a name, a moniker that they think kind of reflects their own personality. I know someone who is in his 30s and he's had the same email address since he was in high school. And I don't know, to me, it seems a little bit dated. But um, so in high school, when he first got an email, he he took out the email address Trubala37 or something like that, right? Truballer. And he was really into basketball. And so instead of putting his name or some version of his name, he put Trubala37 at whatever, yahoo.com. And uh, and uh, and there it is, right? It's 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 still there. Now he's in his uh, in his thirties. Well, God does something similar with Peter and Paul, Abraham, Sarah. He gives them a name that is more fitting, that more expresses where their heart is and and what their mission is. Lord, what's my name? What's my True name, Lord, what is my mission? What am I here for? And we'll only find this name, we'll only find ourselves insofar as we meet Christ. Insofar as we have a deep personal relationship with Christ. St. John Paul II used to paraphrase and quote Vatican II a lot, Gaudium et Spes where the Second Vatican Council proclaimed, It is only in the mystery of the Word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. Christ reveals man to man himself, as St. John Paul II would often quote, paraphrase. Christ reveals man to man himself. Lord, I'll only find myself, if I find myself, in you. Because you, Lord, are the way and the truth and the life. Another passage that St. John Paul II loved to quote from Vatican II. 
Man is the only creature on earth which God willed for itself, and he cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. So it's not only that we won't find ourselves, unless we find ourselves in Christ, in relationship with Christ, but also, Lord, I won't find myself, I won't be myself, I won't receive that name, unless I precisely imitate you, unless I give myself to God and to others as you gave yourself to God and to the world. I'll never be truly who I am. I'll never discover that true self. I can only find myself in Christ through a sincere gift of myself unless I decide to live like Christ. In a certain sense, to die like Christ, to give myself up like Christ for others. So for the Christian Lord, we have to be careful with this theme of identity. First of all, it's something that we receive from you. I am who I am because God is who he is. I am who I am because of my relationship with God. I only exist because God creates me out of love. And I only exist because he creates me out of love with a certain mission to be like his son. We could say, Lord, that in the last analysis, I am your love for me. God is love, and God creates me and holds me in existence, and I exist because he has a plan for me, and I exist because he keeps loving me into existence. So I could say that I am God's love for me. Outside of God's love for me, there is nothing. I am nothing. He gives me existence, and he gives my existence a purpose. And in that relationship, I find out who I am. I discover who I am, a son of God called to imitate Jesus Christ, called to love God above all things and love others as Christ has loved me. So our identity is not something we have to create whole cloth. It's not not something we have to shop around for. Oh, should I be a goth? Should I be a trans? Should I be identified completely with my race and identity politics? Should I identify myself purely with my sports team? (laughs) Should I identify myself purely with my political party? When we lose the sense of having received our identity, of it being something that is just a given, that I am who I am because God is who he is and he's made me who I am and he's called me to be in this family, the church, and belong to him and belong to others through him. Something that precedes me. God's love calls me into my identity, calls me into myself by calling me into existence as a son of God or a daughter of God. If I lose that sense, well then, yeah, we get all sorts of confused and we just go, we just go identity shopping. And our life can seem to have no purpose. We're kind of adrift. And so we need a mission and we need to find our name. And so we can end up anywhere. Unless we have that strong sense that, no, this is the foundation. I am God's love for me. God created me as a man, as a woman, to be his son, to be his daughter. To imitate Christ in my life 
as it is. We can say, Lord, also that our identity is constitutive of our heritage. St. Paul says this, right? We're made heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Christ, such that in sharing his identity with us, the identity of being a a child of God, we're sons in the Son, children of God because we're connected to the only child of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We share his inheritance. The glory that belongs to him, the love of the Father that belongs to him by nature, is ours by gift. That's part of our identity as Christians. And there's an instructive story in the Old Testament which warns us against not appreciating our inheritance, not appreciating the family identity we have in Christ with God. This is the story of the brothers Jacob and Esau. Isaac marries Rebekah, and eventually Rebekah is pregnant with these twins. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came forth red, all his body like a hairy mantle, and so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth, and his hand had taken hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was boiling pottage, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red pottage, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. And Edom is (laughs) E-D-O-M. It doesn't have to do with the fact that he's hungry and therefore it starts eating, right? Not like eat him up. But it actually means red. Edom means red. And so I think it's kind of a derogatory nickname because he's so crazy about this red pottage. Also, of course, he comes out red. And so the name Esau has to do something with being hairy and or red. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Esau, as we saw, was the firstborn son. And as the firstborn son, part of his inheritance, part of his birthright, was the mantle of authority in the family. He was supposed to succeed his father, Isaac, as a patriarch. The firstborn takes over the position of the father in the family when the father dies. And the firstborn also inherits more of the property, more of the land, which is kind of consolidated in the head of the family. And so Esau was meant to be one of the patriarchs when God appears to um, to Moses, where he says, tell the people that the God of your fathers 
has sent you. The God of your fathers. And then he lists him. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But Jacob's name is only there because Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. So originally it was supposed to be God saying, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Esau. But Esau gives that up. He gives up his identity, at least part of his identity, to his brother Jacob. Because why? Because he's hungry. Because he can't deal with a negative experience, a negative emotion. He can't resist. He says, oh, I'm going to die. Well, it takes a long time to die from hunger. And he was a skillful hunter. He would have found something to eat eventually. So he exaggerates his current state of dissatisfaction. He exaggerates his, his current need. And in so doing, he despises his birthright. He despises his God-given and his family-given identity. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Lord, isn't it the case that we often do the same? Or we can be tempted to do the same. We can despise our Christian identity and in a certain sense sell it, sell it off, deny it for some shorter term satisfaction, for some shorter term goal. It could be a temptation. We think, oh, I can't resist this so long. This is going to be so hard. I'm dying here. Like Esau says, I'm famished. I'm going to die. We exaggerate as an excuse to give in to some temptation that if it's a mortal sin, breaks our friendship with God, puts us outside where his love can reach us. Of course, his love is always pressing up against us and all we have to do is go to confession to start over. But we close ourselves off from God's love, from our true selves, therefore, when we sin mortally. Well, Lord, perhaps we can despise our birthright by just not accepting and not being, not being grateful for who you've made us and for, and for who we, who, for who we are. In a time of confusion, perhaps we don't like the family we've been born into, don't appreciate it. In a time of greater confusion, some people, this happens, of course. We might not feel comfortable with the, body we have or with the talents we've been given. Lord, help us not to make a rash decision like Esau because the uncomfort that he's experiencing in the moment makes this terrible mistake, which has lifelong consequences. He's no longer the firstborn. He's rejected his God-given right. He's rejected his Nature is natural family. Lord, help me not to lose or despise the identity you've given me. A son of God or daughter of God. With this church, with all of its messiness, <laughs> with all of its beauty, all the tr beautiful traditions of our Christian heritage, our church, 
but also with all of its messiness. With the family, Lord, that you've let me be born into. Lord, help me not to despise it, but to accept it and to work within it, to work with it, because it's part of your plan for me. What's my name, Lord? Who have you called me to be? What's that hidden name you have for me in heaven? In the works of Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey, one of the really fun things about Homer and Homer's characters are the epithets that his heroes receive, those taglines after after someone's name. And my favorite is is Odysseus. Odysseus, of course, is the hero of the Odyssey. He also appears in an important role in the Iliad. And Odysseus is called Odysseus, the Sacker of Cities. What a powerful nickname, or a powerful name that describes his his role, so to speak, in the in these stories. The wise Odysseus, or he's very crafty, clever. The wise Odysseus, sacker of cities. Well, that's another good question, right? If I were a if I were a Homeric hero or heroine, what would my epithet be? What would my title be? And if I put that in a Christian key, if I made it a Christian name, what would my title be? Would I be Joe, sacker of cities? Something more positive than that, obviously, but something as strong as, as serious, as exalted, fearsome. Or would I be Joe, watcher of Netflix? Instead of Joe, apostle to Manhattan, I become Joe, purveyor of YouTube. And this is the problem. (laughs) This is a problem. This is what's at stake with responding to our vocation. And I might be called to an exalted title, an exalted name in heaven, a name that's written in heaven, as Jesus says, waiting for me there. A secret name that only God knows, because only God knows truly what I'm here for and what I'm capable of. And instead of receiving that name, I earn some other title that's just not worthy of myself, not worthy of God, not worthy of my vocation. Because I'm wasting my time. Or because I'm afraid to make a big change. Or because I worry too much what people think of me and I'm afraid of being an apostle. Or because I'm lazy and it's hard to be recollected and it's hard to learn how to pray and really get to know our Lord. Lord, help me to see through the excuses that I use not to become who you truly want me to be, not to be who I really am who I am in your eyes, in your eternity. The excuses, Lord, the rationalizations that keep me from receiving the name and the identity that you want me to have. Falling short of it in different ways because I'm just not up for the struggle or I just don't trust you enough or or whatever. My identity, my vocation, my mission, 
my origin and and destination in God. It's all connected. And I only find them, Lord, if I reflect on my life, reflect on myself, my situation, in your presence. Who I am, what I'm called to be, what I'm here for, where I come from, and where I'm going. God is the answer to all these. God has the answer to all these. And so, Lord, help me not to shop for my identity in places where I'm only being sold cheap substitutes. The cheap substitutes created by my own ego, the cheap substitutes created by politics, the substitutes created by a very confused culture on gender and and sexuality issues, the substitutes created by the global marketplace. Lord, help me not to shop or to look for my name in places where I can only find a very cheap substitute for the glorious name that you have given me, that you're calling me to be in heaven and from all eternity. In the church, we revere the holy name of Jesus and the holy name of Mary, our mother. Jesus' name is a prayer. God saves Yeshua. God saves. Mary's name has become a prayer. Mary, just to call out to her, is to have her hear us. To have her ears perked up in heaven. The holy name of Mary. The sweet name of Mary. The holy name of Jesus. Mary, our mother, Jesus, our God and our Lord, teach us our true names. Give us a new name if we need it. Or help us to recover that original name which speaks so much, the name of Christian, the name of Son of God, the name of Daughter of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.